0: Welcome to New Hope's Sermon of the Week. We hope that you experience God's presence and encouragement for your life as you listen to this week's message. Okay, I want to share a message today. I have been thinking a lot recently about the fact that there are quite a number of Bible verses that are very well-known but are very often quoted completely out of context. Now, I'm not talking about, there are Bible verses that are very well-known and people quote them in context. You know, John 3:16 is very well-known. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Very well-known Bible verse, and it's pretty clear what it means. What does it mean? Well, it means that God so loved the world <laughs> that he gave <laughs> his only son, right? Whoever believes I mean, it's pretty clear. So there are Bible verses that are clear. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, you know, okay, it's poetic speech, you know, he makes me lie down in green meadows, and, but you understand, it means like a shepherd looks after his sheep, God looks after his people. Lots of Bible verses are well known and understood. Then there are other Bible verses that are not well known at all, and maybe understood or misunderstood, Or maybe only Christians and, and like, really, really committed Christians might know some of these. Like, let me give you an example. Deep calleth unto deep. I mean, go out there in the streets and say to somebody, deep calleth unto deep. And they'll they'll be like, what? (laughs) Like, I've got no idea who you are, (laughs) but I'm moving along, you know? I mean, nobody would understand what that means. Only Christians would, and most of them misunderstand it anyway. But I want to talk about well-known Bible verses Bible verses that are quoted so much, that's what I've been thinking about recently, Bible verses that are quoted so much and yet tend to be misapplied. And today I want to talk about one such verse. And the misunderstood message that comes with this verse is this, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Anybody ever heard that before? Give me a little wave if you've ever heard that. Right. Quite often, when Christians talk about the devil, they often don't use the word devil. Sometimes they'll say things like the enemy. You know, and um, so and in this this case, this message comes from a verse. Can you put the next slide up, please? The verse is John ten ten. The thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus is saying, I have come in order that you might have life, life in all its fullness. And then, usually, the preacher will say, Jesus came to give us life in all its fullness, abundant life, but the devil comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Would it surprise you to know that if you read the entire paragraph instead of one verse, the thief is not the devil? I think I'll just say that again. Would it surprise you to discover That all you have to do is read one paragraph, just one paragraph, that that one verse is in, and you will discover that the thief is not the devil. Jesus actually says, we will get to it in a moment, but in the very sentence before this one, he said, I will tell you who the thieves are. They are these people, and... The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And then all the preachers will ignore the verse before it because this makes good preaching. Oh, the devil. The devil's been on your back all week. I'll tell you, we're going to rebuke the devil today because the devil came. Listen, did you, did you have a car accident? Did, your t- did you burst your car tire? That was the devil. I know what happens to everybody in the world, but you're a Christian, so it must have been the devil. (laughs) He came to steal. And that money that you had, that you were gonna take your wife out for a nice meal, you have to buy a new tire for your car. That's the devil. No, people, that is normal everyday life that the entire world has to face. But then when you become a Christian, you regress into being a pathetic child that can no longer handle real life like you used to before you were saved, and now you want to blame everything on the devil when you need to pull your big boy pants up and you need to go out there and live a proper life. That's it, that's it. (laughs) The thief is not the devil. And actually there's a clue here because Jesus said, Jesus tells us why he came. I have come that you might have life, life in all of its fullness, or some translations say life more abundantly, abundant life, full life. Well, that gives you an insight into what the thief is coming to steal, doesn't it? If Jesus is contrasting two things here, things being stolen from you and things being given to you, that's the contrast, he came to give us something, to give us life. Not only life after death. I mean, you've got John 3.16 for that one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. But he also came to give us life here and now, life more abundantly. To use preacher-speak, you not only get pie in the sky when you die, you get steak in the plate while you eat. You get both. <laughs> Jesus came to give us—Paul's—was it Paul or was it Peter? Some, some apostle someplace said in the Bible. You know, there's actually nothing wrong with not knowing where the actual reference is. You read the book of Hebrews sometime. Like, for a start, nobody really knows for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. It doesn't say. But whoever it was, was not good at quoting the Old Testament. Because whenever they quote the Old Testament, they don't say, as Moses said, or they say, somewhere or other, it is written. (laughs) And then they quote the verse. You think, wow. So, anyway, I've totally lost my train of thought now. What was I talking about? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul or Peter or somebody or other said, so, somewhere or other it is written, that in the New Testament, that... Jesus gives us everything that pertains to life and godliness, okay? That's natural life and spiritual life. That's life here and now and life after we die. That's fullness of life in the rotten here and now and eternal life in the sweet by and by. That's everything. He is a full and complete Savior, so if Jesus came in order that we might have life, life in all its fullness, it must be life in all its fullness that the thief is trying to steal from us. Because there's a contrast between two things, right? Right. Here's the next, here's the next way that this verse sometimes gets ripped out of context. I've heard people preach on it, the thief comes and then say the thief is the devil, And then very often they tie it in with another verse and they say, and the thief needs to return sevenfold what he stole. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Does anybody remember we used to sing songs like that? I went to the enemy's camp and I, I took back what he stole from me except it wasn't him that stole from me, right? Let's look at the next verse. Let's look at the next one. This is the verse that they say, excuses might be found for a thief who steals because he is starving. But if he is caught, he must pay back seven times what he stole, even if he has to sell everything in his house. Does that sound like the devil to you? I mean, like, you know, do you say, oh, I really feel sorry for the devil? You know, I know he attacked me today and my tire, my car burst, and that, but I mean, the poor guy's starving, you know? <laughs> or does this sound like a human being that's being spoken about? That What this verse is saying is that even though, you know, some people might be bad dudes who steal from you, and other people might be poor souls who steal from you, and you might actually feel sorry for them, but. Everyone should be treated equally under the law. The rich shouldn't get preference. The poor shouldn't get preference. Everyone should be treated equally under the law, even if you feel sorry for the thief, even if you could make excuses for him. Under that law, he had to pay back multiple times. In some cases, it was double, and in other cases, it was seven times, depending on what was—that was to do with the—this has got nothing to do with the devil so see those prayers that you're praying? Ah, devil, you're giving back sevenfold. And he's like, well, you need to read your Bible. I mean, have you read the Bible. <laughs> you need to read your Bible, because that, that verse is not about me. <laughs> let's go back to John 10, and let's look at it. Next slide, please. And it's full, con- no, the next one. It's full context, right? Jesus said again, I am telling you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All others who came before me are, what? And? But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Those who come in by me will be saved, and they will come in and go out and find pasture the thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come in order that you have, might have life life in all of its fullness. So, who is the thief? Who is the thief that comes? All others who came before me are thieves. I mean, this does not take reading comprehension, you know. This just takes reading a couple of sentences before the sentence that you're reading. I mean, it's not that hard, right? <laughs> so, Jesus is clearly saying here that all um, of the religious leaders that came before him, meaning he's talking about, you know, round about the time of Jesus, there was a high expectation that the Messiah was going to come, because there were biblical prophecies from Daniel, and if you counted them all up, you knew you were in the general vicinity of the time that the Messiah was going to come. The, the, the Essenes, the people that wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, actually had calculated all kinds of things. They knew they were living in the crossover of the age, at the end of an age, and the beginning of a new one. They didn't know the exact date, but they knew that within the next few decades, the Messiah was going to come. There was high expectation among the Jewish people. So, just before Jesus, among the religious community, false messiahs were arising— And actually, after Jesus, some false messiahs arose as well, all in Jerusalem and in that surrounding area. And not only that, but the religious teachers, who were not claiming to be messiahs, but were just claiming to be religious teachers, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and so on, had developed a theology that actually robbed people from the blessings of God. The kind of things that you have heard about God today so far in this service, whether it was uh, in songs that we've sung or things that have been said about God being a good father, about how he loves his children, about how he gives good gifts to us, about how he's always there, about even when we screw up, he's waiting with open arms to bring us back in, to cleanse us, to heal us, and to set us on our feet. That was not what they were hearing from the religious leaders of their day. They were hearing that God was angry at them. They were hearing that they were sinners. They were hearing that they should be ashamed of themselves. They were hearing that unless they kept the law perfectly, they should be outcasts to the community. They were hearing over and over again that God was the eternally disappointed one looking on his people and sighing, great sighs of disappointment because they're all a freaking mess, and if I could just wipe them all out like I did with a flood, it would be a good thing. That's, that, was the, that was the image of God. They were being taught that they had to earn favor with God in order to get blessings from God. And so they were being taught that the religious leaders who wore special clothes and had more money, they were featured on Instagram, preachers with sneakers, you know that one? <laughs> I, I want, apparently you get free Jordans in Air Force One if you're a famous enough preacher. I want to know how, how many hits do you need to get on YouTube to get out? Because I want those shoes, you know? <laughs> Anyway, they were like that. So they were they were they were wearing the latest clothes and everything else, and they would go and give money to the poor, and when they would do it, they actually employed somebody to walk in front of them, blowing a trumpet. Do, 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 do. Pharisee John shall now give money to the poor to demonstrate how holy he is. Do, 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 and he would come and he would give money to them. Because he was obviously he was obviously Perfectly sinless and holy because he was blessed. But look at these people that are struggling in life. Their kids have gone astray or they've got a disease or they've lost their business or they're struggling financially or whatever it is. Obviously, God hates them and he's punishing them. This was the message that was being taught. Hey, I've even heard that message taught today. I, I remember a couple of years ago seeing there was some big outcry about some well-known preacher and some message that he'd preached, so I decided to watch it, and he preached a message about how God hated half the people in their church. And I'm going to quote you, and like he screamed it with veins sticking out his neck. I'm going to quote you him exactly. He said, there's some of you here that are so sinful, God objectively hates you! I'll tell you, I would have ran out the back door, jumped in my car, driven away, creating as much dust as possible, (laughs) and would never darken a door of a church like that again. I mean, basically, the preacher is standing there blaspheming our loving, kind, gracious, compassionate Father. So that's the kind of preaching. And any preacher who robs you of living a great life, life to the full, is a thief who has come only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. I want to tell you a little bit about Near Eastern shepherding practices. Jesus says, I tell the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. Then later on, he says, I am the gate. Earlier on, he says, I am the good shepherd. In the same passage, and you're thinking, well, well, what are you, Jesus? Are you the gate, or are you the shepherd? Because we don't understand shepherding practices in those days, because in those days, the shepherd was also the gate. Let me tell you how this worked. I want you to imagine that this is the Judean countryside, okay? And there are sheep up here on the hills, grazing everywhere, but the sheep, the sheep are owned by different people. It's different flocks, but they're all kind of mixed together, and there's different shepherds out there. Now, what they would do is, when it got dark at night, they would take their sheep. They had a sheep pen. So, imagine this, this drum kit area is a sheep pen. There's a wall, like a stone wall built up all the way around here, okay, and round here, and this is the entrance into it. This is the sheep pen, at night time, they would bring all their sheep into the sheep pen. The sheep pen had no gate. Okay? They would bring all their sheep into the sheep pen. There would, you know, shepherd Joe would have his sheep there, shepherd Bob would have his sheep there, you know, shepherd Sam would have his sheep there. They would bring all the sheep in and they would take turns at night. One of the shepherds would stay with the sheep all night, and the rest could go home and the one that was staying all night, he would sleep against there. He, he was the The shepherd was the gate, right? The sheep could not get past him. A wolf couldn't get past him without waking him up, at least. So, he is the gate of the sheep, and he is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, in the morning, the shepherds would come back, and the shepherds would call their own sheep out by name. Right? So that a shepherd would come and, and let's say it was Shepherd Sam who's sleeping here and he's, he wakes up and I'm Shepherd Bob. Hey, Shepherd Sam. How you, how's it going? Not bad. How are you, Shepherd Bob? I'm fine. Um, so I'm here for my sheep. Okay, so he steps out the road and I go, <whistles> Fluffy, Fluffy, come on, Fluffy and Fluffy comes trotting out. You know, I I don't know what sheep are called. I was thinking about this this morning, and I could only come up with cow names like Daisy and Buttercup and things like that. (laughs) But (coughs) whatever sheep are called, he would, (laughs) Buttercup, and Buttercup would come out. The sheep not only knew their name, they would recognize the shepherd's voice. Now, if a different shepherd called Fluffy and Daisy and Buttercup out, they wouldn't come out unless he also had sheep with that name in which case his buttercup would come out but my buttercup would stay in right so that was that was what they did now so jesus says in this passage he says i am the good shepherd i am the good shepherd of the sheep and i know my sheep by name and my sheep know my voice and they follow me, and the voice of a stranger Amen. they will never follow. Amen. Right, so th- is this beginning to make a little bit of sense? I am the good shepherd. I am the gate of the sheep. I'm not going to take turns. I'm the one that's going to be watching over my flock every single night. I'm not going to take a night off. Yeah. You know, God never says, Gabriel? Pff, like, I need a vacation, Gabriel. Gabriel? <laughs> I mean, like, you thought the dark ages were bad? I mean, like, the 21st century is, like, really messed up, and I need a vacation. Gabriel, you're in charge for a while. God never does that. God never takes a vacation. He never passes on his responsibilities to somebody else. He is the good shepherd. He will guard his sheep. He will protect his sheep. He will always guard his sheep. He will always protect his sheep. He knows them all by name. Okay? And we, as his sheep know His voice. And a stranger's voice we should never follow, unless, of course, we are so spiritually deaf, we are so hard-hearted, <laughs> we, are, we, don't, we know about Him, but we don't really know Him, then anybody could come along and shout, <whistles> buttercup, and Buttercup would come out and not realize that it's not the shepherd, that I'm not her shepherd, I'm a cult leader, right? Who's gonna, or worse than that, a YouTube preacher. (laughs) The amount of, we'll get to that in a moment. Okay, right, so. (laughs) I'm a YouTube preacher, that's going to fill Buttercup's head with ideas about how her church isn't good enough. It's not spiritual enough. They don't teach the right doctrine. You should leave your church. You should just come to my training camp. It's like a big commune. We all love each other. You know, sell your possessions and give them to me and come into the camp. You might never get back out again, you know. But, and she is away with a thief. Or maybe it's not even come and join my cult. Maybe it's just embrace my teachings, embrace my teachings. And the teachings are robbing you of living life to the full. There are two way, main ways that thieves, false prophets and so on, can, can rob the abundant life from you. There's two main ways to do it. One way is legalism. Most people fall for that first one. And legalism is based on personal performance. It's based on perfectionism. It's based on striving and human effort. And it is so bad that Paul wrote a whole book about it the book of Galatians. You began in the Spirit, and you're going back to the flesh. You you were saved by faith, and now you're trying to live the Christian life by works. Like, you've missed the whole point. In fact, he says, you fools who has cast a spell on you and bewitched you to believe that. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. There is nothing you can do to keep your salvation. God, you are saved by grace. You are kept by grace. Your life will be transformed by grace, and you will get into heaven by grace. It's all about the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Listen, maybe you might die before your work is finished. Maybe you've got a calling upon your life, a destiny, things to do, and maybe you'll die in a car wreck, and you'll never achieve it. Do you want to know something? You'll still be welcomed into heaven, because it's not whether you finished your course, it's the fact that Jesus finished His course for you, okay? So do not fall for legalism, obeying the law, trying to live up to Christian rules and regulations. Dear Lord, I remember the days when I was a young Christian and it was like, I tried to do all the things. I remember one preacher saying that God gave her a revelation that everybody should, every Christian should pray in tongues for one hour a day. I tried that for two days. Then there was the other person that said everybody should pray a prayer for one hour a day This is not including the tongues. You should pray for one hour a day, a prayer based on the model of the Lord's prayer, because Jesus said, could you not tarry one hour? And you should be ashamed of yourself if you can't tarry one hour, because he hung on the cross for you, right? So then you were to do your positive confessions and your affirmations. But you only had to do that for half an hour, apparently. I don't know why, but anyway. And then, of course, you were to spend an hour in Bible study, Then you were to go out, like every Christian was to share their faith every day. And like, I'm calculating this, and I'm thinking, I'm going to need to be a full-time Christian (laughs) to actually achieve all of this. And then one day you realize that God says to you, give it all up. Lie on the couch Put on some worship music and let me fill you and bathe you and wash you, and then prayers will come naturally out of you. Uh, You'll open the Bible and wha-bam, you'll you'll get a word from the Lord. I mean, you don't need to put in all this striving and human effort and then feel like a failure and a sinner and a pot I'm sorry, Lord, I only made it through three and a half hours today, you know? I I, I don't, like, see all this being false and, you know, being legal, see, when you're legalistic, you're trying to pretend you're somebody you're not. I love a prayer that I saw on Facebook. It said, Lord, I've done pretty well today so far. I haven't lost my temper, argued with anyone, said any cuss words, or really sinned. But in a few minutes, I'll be getting out of bed, and I need your help (laughs) for the rest of the day. (laughs) Look, (laughs) actually, what you need to know is Jesus is actually quoting something here. He's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting the book of Ezekiel. Can you put up the next slide, please? Click the next one. The next one. You were supposed to put that one up when I was telling my wee story. Uh, This is the one, right, okay. So, then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you shepherds who feed themselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep "'So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd, "'and they are easy prey for any wild animal. "'And though you were ship- my shepherds, "'you didn't search for my sheep when they were lost. "'I myself will search for m- and find my sheep.'" I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. This is a prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus when the Lord is saying that the religious leaders of my people, they are harsh, they are judgmental, they are breaking up my flock, they are leading people astray, they're scattering them, they're not even going after the hurting people. If we read the whole passage, it says that shepherds should feed their flock with knowledge and should heal their wounds. But instead, they were r- ruling them harshly and scattering them, and the Lord says, the day will come when I myself will step down from heaven, and I will be a shepherd to my people, and I will go and look look for the lost and the strays, and I will bring them back in myself, and I will have a flock here. And in that passage in John 10, Jesus mentions three bad guys, okay? There are the thieves, the religious leaders who will who will either use legalism, which was the first way. Sometimes in more spirit-filled churches, it's not legalism. There's another thing to do, another way to rob you, super spirituality. When you've not to live a normal life anymore, you know, you've not to like go to Walmart and buy the groceries and then come home and, and put on Netflix or, or anything like that, you're supposed to be prophesying and receiving more visions than Ezekiel and interceding and everything. The only things in life you should be doing are spiritual. I don't want to spend too much time because last time I was here, when I talked about living in alignment, remember I showed you the triangles? the different and a right angle triangle and an equilateral triangles and trapeziums and I don't know what's what but you can either get a triangle that no that is equal every side or you can get one that's dorky and really stretched out in one way and you're supposed to be balanced spirit mind, and body. You are created in the image and likeness of our triune God as a triune being yourself. And you know, the Father's not more important than the Son. The Holy Spirit's not more important than the Father. One God, equal in every way. You are one person. Your body is important. Your mind is important. Your spirit is important. Don't let somebody draw you into such super spirituality. You neglect your marriage. You neglect your family. You neglect the natural affairs of life. You ne- uh, neglect your career. You neglect all, I mean, some, some Christians are going to get to the end of their life and die and realize they didn't enjoy life at all. Do you know, I was preaching once in Idaho Falls, and a woman came up to me at the end and complained to me because I, talk, I mentioned your emotions and being filled with joy and enjoying life, and she said, that sounds sensual to me. And I said, sorry. Like, <laughs> she said, that sounded sensual. And I'm like, well, tell me what you mean. Do you mean your senses? Yes, your senses and your feelings. They're from the devil, she said. Can you imagine trying to go through life suppressing every feeling and not enjoying the taste of food because it's a sense? denying all physical pleasure? I hope to God that woman is not married. If so, I pray for that man. I really do. So, seriously. So, any, So that's, that's the thieves. The thieves are the religious leaders. They will steal life, real life, enjoying it. Who is it that has that? Is it Joyce Meyer that calls her program that? Enjoy- There's a program called Enjoying Everyday Life. Is that Joyce Meyer? That's a great title, isn't it? Enjoying Everyday Life. God is with you in normal life. I have to remind myself of that all the time because I live in Canada now, and like they, they, don't, they, they drive too slow, honestly. <laughs> they would really drive slow, and they have stop signs everywhere in the parking lot. I'm like, it's a parking lot? Do you know somebody got charged by the cops for texting while he was in the McDonald's drive through line? And I've, I'm like, is that not private property? I don't <laughs> Everybody drives slow. Well, I come from the UK. I come from Europe. We know how to drive, okay? <laughs> The old saying in Europe that we have is that North Americans, in the United States and Canada, you drive too slow and you eat too fast. In Europe, we eat slow and we drive fast, and that's the way God intended life to be. <laughs> anyway, so when I'm driving the car and I'm about to give a hand signal, I have to remember that the Lord, the Lord, bless you, and bless you. Uh, The Lord is with you in everyday life, right? Not just when you're doing holy stuff. But then there's, uh, so there's thieves. They're bad dudes. And then Jesus said there are hirelings. There are people who don't care about the sheep. They don't come into the sheepfold through the gate. They, uh, They try to climb over another way. If they see a wolf coming, they say, I'm out of here. And they run away and abandon them. There are lots and lots of people out there who want to be in ministry and are not called by God. I don't know why. Like, when people come and say to me, how do you become a pastor? I say to them, if you could possibly do anything else with your life, go and do that. (laughs) Only do this if the passion is burning so much that you would be miserable doing anything else, right? because you don't know what this is like. (laughs) And honestly, people will chew you up and spit you out. So be very careful. It's like when people go on American Idol and they stand up there and the the judges say, why are you here? I just want to be famous. I want everyone to know. And it's like, you don't know what you're asking for. (laughs) Famous people don't want to be famous. I know a preacher who's so well known that when he takes his kids to Disney World, he has to put on a fake beard and mustache. Otherwise, people swamp him. The people who love him and the people who hate him. (laughs) Swamp him. You don't want to be famous. You don't want to be something that you're not called to be. You don't want to be a hireling. And then he mentions wolves. The wolf comes This is not preachers. I've been going on about preachers and internet preachers and all that kind of stuff and legalistic preachers and God hates you preachers and super spiritual preachers, but wolves are people. Wolves are never called wolves in shepherds' clothing. They are called wolves in sheep's clothing. They are the people who are amongst the congregation. I just don't know about I don't like the pastor, and I don't know about that thing that was preached, and why, why did they bring that Martin Trench And I don't, I can't stand him. And, uh, and then, you know, those kind of, and people that go about snap, snap, snapping, and putting doubts in your mind, and before you know it, you have swallowed all of their bitterness, and all of the junk, and unresolved issues. It's in their life. And then one day they say to you, I'm leaving the church. And you say, yeah, I'm coming with you. And basically a wolf has just snatched you and dragged you away from the safety of the flock, from the sheepfold where the good shepherd is constantly watching over you. Beware, not of the devil running around with a pitchfork, bursting your car tires beware of false teachers who will rob from you the gift of life that God wants to give you. Beware of false leaders who do not have your interest at heart and would flee the moment a problem came. Beware of people that you regard as brothers and sisters, but who obviously are filled with malice and bitterness and could end up biting and damaging you. That's what Jesus is saying. So here's the message. False messiahs and religious teachers who try to lead you away from trust in Christ or who teach against living life to the full and enjoying God's abundance are stealing the blessings of God from you. Jesus came to ensure that we would enjoy God's blessings and the gift of life. I want to stop. We're going to pray, but I want to just give you one little quick story. I heard somebody tell there was this village someplace, and a war had taken place, and the army had taken over the village. And when they did that, they took all the men of fighting age and arrested them and put them in this prison cell. There were four philanthropists in that village, four old men, not of fighting age. They weren't locked up, but they had a lot of money and resources. The first one came to the prison guards and said, I hear that the prisoners don't have any clean water to drink. How much would I need to give you for you to allow me to supply them with water, such and such an amount? So he gave the guards such and such an amount and brought in clean drinking water and felt like he had done his part to make the world a better place, right? The second philanthropist came along and said, I hear that they don't really have any food to eat, just scraps, Like, prison guards, if I paid you a certain amount of money, would you allow me to send a servant here to prepare food and bring food to them each day? Yeah, this amount of money. Okay, so he gave them that, and they had food every day. And he felt like I've done something to help these people out. Third, philanthropist, the same things. I hear they've not got any warm blankets to keep them warm at night. If I provide blankets, how much do I need to pay you for you to allow me to get past the gates and give them the blankets? And they all felt they had done their religious duty. The fourth philanthropist came to the guards and says, how much for the keys to the prison? And he gave them whatever they asked for, and he took the keys and set every captive free. Listen, religious leaders might give you some water or some food or, or a warm blanket so that you're comfortable while you're in your imprisoned state. But Jesus has the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He has opened every prison door, and he brings us out, out into the pasture where we can have life more abundantly. Can you say amen, church? Come on, let's stand together. The band are going to come up. We're going to finish with a prayer and a little bit of a song. Let's, let's say this. Let's close our eyes. Let's lift our hands up to heaven and say this with me. In Jesus' name, name, I declare, declare, the Lord is my shepherd. shepherd. I need nothing. nothing. He is everything. He is is my blesser. blesser. And today, today, I receive receive every good good and perfect perfect gift that comes from above. From my loving Father, father. I believe it, it. and I receive it. it. In Jesus' name, name. amen. Let's give the Lord a praise in the house. Thanks so much for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to check out our additional resources, please feel free to go to newhopecom.org.